Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, August 16th, 2013. I said about the tyranny of the positive with uh, Joel Osteen. Oh man, wait till you hear his latest, a part of his latest sermon. <laughs> no joke. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There's no shortage of crazy things being said out there today, and we take the time to stop, slow down, open up our Bibles, and see if what we're being taught by... (laughs) Today's popular, uh, you know, mega church television pastors with major book deals and things like that, if they're actually uh, giving us sound biblical doctrine and what God's Word really says, or as the Apostle Paul prophesied in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, well, in fact, let me read that for you. <clears throat> I think it's good to review this particular passage on a regular basis nowadays because it seems like so many of the popular pastors that are being promulgated <clears throat> notice the alliteration there i had to work hard at that um you know that today that uh, what we're getting from them well it's not what god's word says in fact let me um, i'll take a look at second uh, timothy chapter 3 and i'll back up a little bit uh you know, pastoral epistle here again second uh, timothy chapter 3 i'll start at verse 14 and continue through the opening verses of uh, chapter 4 and uh, here's what the apostle paul writing under the inspiration of the holy spirit said he says but as for you timothy young pastor timothy continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out, theonoustos, it's God-breathed, by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And notice there's some negatives in there, reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And I think uh, Paul's prophecy here, that a time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. If that wasn't talking about today, then it's just a radical coincidence, don't you think? Uh, because that is what marks so much of the major teachers that uh, we have out there on the so-called Christian landscape. These are men who do not rightly handle God's Word. They uh, they teach complete myths, and they do this by way of twisting the Bible to make it say what it doesn't say, and as a result of it, tell, you know, pagans and unrepentant sinners what they want to hear. Oh, God is for you. You're the head, not the tail. You know, you can stand in front of a mirror and and declare to yourself that you are God's masterpiece. You are just wonderful. And never tell you that you are a sinner, born dead in trespasses and sins, in need of a Savior, and that you need to repent of your wickedness and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. Because there was Christ on the cross. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. There was Christ on the cross, bleeding and dying for you and for your sins. Repent and believe the good news and be forgiven. You are not good. You are evil. You know, but they won't tell people that. No, they won't tell because they have found that there's lots of money to be made in scratching, itching ears, telling people what they want to hear, and wandering off into myths rather than speaking the truth. Well, don't worry. Uh, and what I mean by that is this. They won't get far. And, uh, yeah, they may be successful in this life. Yeah, there may be a lot of people out there who are faithful pastors, who are laboring away in Christ's vineyard, preaching the truth. And, uh, and you know, they've got tiny little congregations and nobody gives them uh, the time of day. They'll never make it, uh, you know, on a national book tour or anything like that. Who cares? Because on the last day, Christ will vindicate those faithful pastors who didn't wander off into myths, who didn't give people what they wanted to hear, who suffered greatly, had all kinds of aspersions cast against them, were called all kinds of names uh, for teaching the truth and telling sinners what they need to hear and and bring them to repentance. Uh, Those are the pastors whom Christ will vindicate. They will stand with him among the sheep, while those who've wandered off into myths and who are um, you know, telling people what they want to hear, they will hear from Christ on the last day. Depart from me. I never knew you. Away with you into the fires of hell with the devil and his angels. This is what Christ will say to them. So they're not going to get far. And what little time they're enjoying with the world's popularity and the world's accolades right now, don't worry, that'll all turn to something very different on the last day. Unless, of course, they repent, and we pray that they do, um, because they are deceiving themselves and sending themselves and their hearers, well, to an eternity in hell. This is what Scripture says. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I feel like today's episode is backwards. Um, 
there is a normal flow to how I do things here uh, at Fighting for the Faith, especially during the first hour. There's a way I like to build a topic or build a, a program theme. And the way I uh, put this program together feels to me backwards. It's like putting my left shoe on my right foot. It's, it, But I'll have to just get used to it. it it's one of those things. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with today, we're going to start off with a, you know, a news story, if you would. A blog post um, from the uh, f- from the uh, Gospel Coalition uh, website, and uh, this is a, a you know great de- blog post that is put in you know the, normally we're Tulian Tavigian uh, blogs. Um, he's had a guest post by a guy by the name of Chuck Collins. Oh, and by the way. Um, Tulian has uh, sent me a preview copy of his uh, new book that's going to be coming out soon called One Way Love. This thing is fantastic. It is a great book, and it is just absolutely a, a nuclear weapon. Uh, it, it is a word weapon against the idea of self-righteousness and uh, do-it-yourself religion and the quid pro quo religion that says you do this and then God will do that. I mean, this is a great, great book. And so, um, you know, I'm after reading it, I uh, plan to uh, see if I can't get Tulian on the program to discuss his book. But it's not out yet. But when it comes out, this is um, something worth passing along. But anyway, um, so he's on his blog, he's got a guest post by a guy named uh, Chuck Collins. And the name of the blog post is, There are only two kinds of sermons. There are only two kinds of sermons. I will uh, read this brief blog post to you. Then we will dive into a Joel Osteen update. And... Remember, it was not that long ago I was talking about the tyranny of the positive, and um, no joke, uh, on the Joel Osteen website, if you were to go there today, although you have to go there within the you know like within the next two weeks of the broadcast because of this broadcast, because uh, Joel Osteen's messages are only up for two weeks on his website, and then they disappear off of the free portion of his site, and so. Um, the message that we'll be listening to a portion of is entitled, get this, listen to the name of this, Be Positive or Be Quiet. I am not making that up. You want to talk about the tyranny of the positive? Here it is. Be positive or be quiet, says Joel Osteen. And uh, once we're finished with that segment, we'll take a break. And when we come back from our break, we're going to have an extended Patricia King update. Um, I, I told you that we're going to have to go back and listen to how she's promoting this upcoming <clears throat> fire revival and um you know man it's going to take multiple segments and i don't even have the stomach to do them in a row so we're going to be uh, kind of the first of a few different segments that we're going to be doing listening to patricia king as she was uh, teaching at a tent revival kind of preparing people for her so-called upcoming uh, revival fire of uh, revival it's unbelievable what it is that you're going to hear in fact you might and I'm thinking I might have to play our standard warning before we get into that segment. So, and then in hour number two, we're gonna we're gonna end the week off with two fantastic sermons. Uh, one by uh, Pastor Ron Hodel of uh, Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, and the other by um, Pastor 
Uh, Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. Those, that's how we'll end the program, take the uh, pirate ship into uh, dry dock for the weekend on a good note. And so we got a lot of ground to cover today. I uh, recommend that you make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers, if the weather permits and it doesn't cause your feet to sweat, they do enhance your listener experience, in case you haven't heard. And uh, with that, we'll dive into the program proper, starting off with a blog post. Here we go. From Tulian Tavigian's blog over at the Gospel Coalition, the uh, headline reads, There are only two kinds of sermons. There are only two kinds of sermons, a guest post by Chuck Collins. Uh, Here's what Chuck writes. He says, I marvel when someone says, I have no regrets. Well, that's not me. I have plenty. Perhaps my biggest regret outside of not spending more time with my kids when they were growing up and not discovering Irish whiskey sooner is that for much of my 30 years of ordained ministry, I have not preached the gospel. By and large, I have been a nice man standing in front of nice people telling them that God calls them to be nicer. And just about none of it was life-changing. I have come to see that there are really just two ways to preach. One is the gospel. The other is getting better messages. The first is based on God's goodness. The second on self-improvement. Gospel preaching presupposes that even though we deserve punishment for our sins, Jesus Christ suffered the punishment in our place on the cross. Get better sermons, on the other hand, is moralistic advice in which a preacher mounts a pulpit to scold the people for not doing more or getting better. For more years than I care to think, I preached get better messages. I cringe thinking about my old sermons. I regret the lost opportunities of those messages that pounded home the idea that we just need to be better, try harder, pray and give more, read the Bible every day, attend church every week and be nicer. It was plain old Phariseeism, works righteousness under the guise of preaching an easy listening version of salvation by self-help. Those who uh, came were vaguely entertained, I think because I'm a fairly entertaining personality, so they tell me on their way out of the church. But they left mostly feeling beat up and like they don't measure up. Instead of uh, relieving guilt, get better sermons, reinforced guilt in our inadequacies. They didn't touch people where they need most. Whenever you feel comforted or elated or absolved as fresh as a foal in in a new-mown hay, then you know you're hearing the gospel. My conversion to gospel preaching was gradual. I don't remember what the initial catalyst was, except that people weren't getting better with sermons on discipline and how to improve your marriage. Those moralistic sermons doled out plenty of advice about what to do, but it totally missed what God has done for us in His Son. Christ came not to help religious people get better, but to help sinners realize that forgiveness and salvation is outside of themselves, and it's in Jesus Christ. St. Paul in Romans explains the gospel as God's power and God's righteousness. This is exactly the opposite of repairing your nature by a determined will. It is what God has done for us when we couldn't do it ourselves. He fulfilled the law. He took upon himself our sins. He burst the bonds of death to give us a new life. When this message of one-way love, God's love without strings attached, love when we are not lovely, reaches our hearts, 
It causes our spirits to come alive to God, and and it fills us with meaning and purpose. The gospel speaks to our heart's deepest need. When you get to church to find out that the preacher is in the third of a ten-sermon series on ten steps to cure depression, get up and run out of there as fast as your depressed legs can take you. It's self-help. It's not the gospel. Chalk it up to a well-meaning preacher who hasn't yet realized that our real hope is in God, in the sufficiency of his work on the cross, and in the salvation that is not found in getting better sermons. Excellent, excellent blog post. Speaking about getting better sermons, let's do this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like a Christmas tree. Yeah, we gotta do verse number two. So white and pearly, brush gargle rinse a couple breath mints, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth so awesome, just like a favorite song. My shiny teeth that blossom, so they grow to be real strong. My shiny teeth I love them, and they all love me. Shiny Teeth and Me. All right, that's uh, Chip Skylark and Shiny Teeth and Me. That's our Joel Osteen update music. Now, remember I was telling you about the tyranny of the positive. The tyranny of the positive. Well, case in point is this latest message that you can find currently, only for like the next two weeks though, over at Joel Osteen's website. And this was this week's broadcast. It's the name of the message is, get this, be positive or be quiet. Be positive or be quiet. Now, in order to prepare you for this lesson, I must, must, must also play for you the um, commercial that precedes this particular message. Be positive. Or uh, be quiet. So without any further ado, here is the announcer uh, telling us about the latest thing available from uh, Joel Osteen Ministries entitled Further Faster. Discover how when you put God first, he's going to cause you to uh, come into overflow, into abundance, and so that you can be a greater blessing wherever you go. Yeah, talk about getting better, all law, no gospel sermons. This I don't think Joel Osteen even knows what the biblical gospel is. But uh, here's the commercial prior to the message, and then we'll just jump right into the message. Listen to this. Joel and Victoria would like to send you a copy of Joel's new series, Further Faster, God's Plan for Acceleration in Your Life, as a thank you for your support of our ministry. In this encouraging series, you'll be challenged to put God first and see how God can speed up things in your life. Get ready. God is going to take you further, faster. God wants to accelerate things in your life. He's already lined up the right people, the right opportunities. You may feel like you're falling behind. Really, God wants to accelerate things in my life. 
and he's already lined up everything for I, you know, but I've got to do my part. Yeah. So God's up there. He's got all the stuff lined up to accelerate, you know, make my life better, quicker, faster. I just got to get with the program and do my part. Um, what passage of the Bible says that? Oh, yeah. There isn't any passage of the Bible that says any of this. But one touch of God's favor can put you years ahead. God has ways to do things that you've never even thought of. Stay in faith. He's going to take you further, faster. I hope you request this resource. It'll be a great help to you. Request your copy of Further Faster, God's plan for acceleration in your life today. Yeah, I I seriously doubt that's going to help me do anything. Consider it's chock full of false teaching and Bible twisting and actually isn't sound biblical doctrine, but just scratching, itching ears, as the Apostle Paul prophesied, you know, for people who wander away from the truth and wander into, you know, reject the truth, wander into myths. We continue, though, with the message. Again, the name of the message is Be Positive or Be Quiet. Here's Joel Osteen. Yeah, I got a positive. There is no champion in you that that God wants you to discover. God wants you to come to the realization you are born dead in trespasses and sins, that there's a sinner inside of you, and you be the sinner, and uh, you need to repent and be forgiven. But Joel Osteen won't say that. God bless you. It's a joy to come into your homes. If you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. Yeah, no thanks. I'll pass. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. But thanks so much for tuning in, and thank you again for coming out. I like to start with something funny. And I heard about this man that was walking on the beach, and God said, Son, you've been so faithful. I'm going to grant you one special wish. He was so excited. He said, God, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm afraid to fly. So my wish is that you would build me a bridge across the ocean. God said, son, that's totally impossible. Think of the logistics of that. Now take some time and wish again. He said, okay, God, I've been divorced four times. All my ex-wives say I am so insensitive. My wish is that I would be able to understand a woman. I want to know why she thinks like she thinks and why she feels like she feels. It was a long pause. God said, Do you want two lanes or four lanes on that bridge? And all the men said, amen. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. I boldly can. Yeah, no, actually you won't. You will not be taught the word of God. You will hear God's word out of context and twisted. Confess, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. God bless you. I want to talk to you today about be positive or be quiet. Everyone, Now, I've got to point something out here. The, the name of the message, be positive or be quiet. Now, Joel Osteen is probably one of only two or three people on the entire planet who can say that sentence in, in, in a way that doesn't offend people. I want to talk to you today about be positive or be quiet. I mean, just the way he says it. I mean, it just sounds so positive, right? But <clears throat> try this Try this at home tonight. Um, you know, at the dinner table, you know, husbands, um, wives, whoever's listening among you, try this at home tonight. When you're at the dinner table, um, 
you know, and your spouse says something bordering on the negative, okay, or maybe it's just outright negative, try this out. Say, honey, you need to be positive or you need to be quiet, okay, and, and just see what happens. Now, I know that there's a percentage of you that will not be able to make it away from the dinner table alive. I, you know, I get that. And, you know, just understand that the life that you're sacrificing is for science because we'll collect the data afterwards on how many people actually were murdered as a result of telling their spouse that. But you get what I'm saying, right? Actually, don't do that. Really, don't do it because it'll cause like a major fight. But if you said that to your spouse, honey, you know, you need to be positive you need to be quiet then it's fighting words that's the kind of stuff where it's like you know immediately your back gets up and you know you 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 know the adrenaline starts flowing and and your face turns green and the clothes start ripping as the muscles come out and right yeah (laughs) but joel osteen because he just has this sappy way about him he can say this and it doesn't come off the way it would come off if you said it to somebody else. But nowhere in the Bible does it say to you, be positive or be quiet. Listen to this teaching. One of us has promises that we're standing on, things that we're believing for. Maybe it's to get out of debt or to be healthy again, to meet the right person, to start our own business. We know God has spoken to us, but we don't see any sign of it happening. Nothing is changing. It looks just like it did six months ago. The mistake we make too often is we start to talk ourselves out of it. Well, I don't think I'm going to get out of debt. Business is too slow. Or I could never accomplish my dreams. I'm too old, Joel. I miss my opportunity. We don't realize our words are what's keeping the promise from coming to pass. Oh, wow. Again, talk about the tyranny of the positive here. So what does this paint as a picture of God? There's God up in heaven watching your every move. And he's watching to see, specifically listening to make sure that all of your words are positive. Okay? So... Um, if they're not, oh boy, you're in trouble. So we'll go with one of the scenarios that he gave there. You're you're trusting for to find that special someone in your life, right? And you know maybe you're single and and you're, you're really hoping that God will introduce you to her, or you know, or or him. You know, you're you're just dying to finally meet that special someone who you can tie the knot with have the 2.3 children with the white picket fence and all that kind of stuff. But so far, all of the people you've dated have, haven't have measured up. And so, you know, you keep waking up in the mirror and you look waking up every day and you look in the mirror and you say, I'm beautiful. I'm the perfect spouse for him or her, whenever him or her shows up. And I'm believing for him and I'm believing for her or, you know, something. So you're saying these positive words and you're declaring these things to yourself. And so the picture then in this theology is that God is up in heaven going, oh, wow. Okay. That person's demonstrating they have faith. I'm hearing those positive words, but they haven't quite done enough yet. Not yet. Not yet. I I, I still have to hear more because apparently, you know, the positive meter has to fill up. Okay, yeah, y- y'all remember in the olden days when the churches would do 
fundraisers and they would have the fundraising thermometer right and you know you know at the bottom was you know maybe a thousand dollars and then a few notches up was five thousand dollars and then ten thousand and you know you it, all the way up to maybe forty or fifty thousand dollars you know you, you know it was the top of the thermometer so as people would give the thermometer when the people would fill in the thermometer would go up so I think that's how it works in this theology you know so here you got to say you got to say your positive words and you got to fill up the positive o meter you know until, until God really believes you truly 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 have faith and of course if you don't say enough positive words it doesn't it doesn't stay up there it starts to kind of slowly creep back you know and then you got to say enough positive words and kind of push it up push it up push it up put it up. but as soon as you say something negative the bottom drops out and <laughs> you're back to zero <laughs> the bible doesn't teach this and so this is this creates the tyranny of the positive be positive or be quiet, Joel Osteen says. Yeah, because you don't want to. You don't want to you know, take the 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 bottom out of the positive o meter, do you? God can't bless you until you've said enough positive things and demonstrated to Him that you've got faith in Him. Right? The Bible doesn't teach this. You cannot talk defeat and expect to have victory. The moment you speak something out, you are giving life to what you're saying, either good or bad. That's what allows it to become a reality. Negative thoughts come to every person. And yet, if you're in this theology, isn't it weird? You have to constantly keep saying positive, 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 positive things, and nothing seems to ever change. And so it just takes forever. So you have to keep saying positive, positive, positive things. But then it doesn't matter how many positive things you've said. If you say one negative thing... You remember Linus in the pumpkin patch hoping for the great pumpkin, you know, and you remember that theology, right? There's Linus in the pumpkin patch. It's the most sincere pumpkin patch ever. And, you know, he's he's declaring that he believes that the great pumpkin is going to declare his pumpkin patch the most sincerest pumpkin patch. And, of course, he's there for hours and hours and hours and the great pumpkin doesn't show up. And then Linus says something that doesn't quite have the positive aspect to it. It actually hints at a little bit of doubt. And oh no, no, now he's done it. The great pumpkin will not show up this year because he didn't have enough faith in the great pumpkin. That That's this theology. This is Linus's great pumpkin theology taken and put into a super large megachurch. It's not biblical theology, by the way. We continue. You can't stop the thoughts from coming. The key is don't verbalize the negative. You may think it, but don't speak it out. If you're not going to say anything good about your health, your finances, your children, your future, do yourself a favor. Zip it up. Yeah, just do yourself a favor. Yeah. So again, try this at home at the dinner table with your spouse. Hey, honey, if you can't say anything positive about you know what this that or the other thing, would you just zip it? You know, this isn't a positive message at all. This is a very negative, beat people up kind of message. Don't say anything at all. Be positive or be quiet. Proverbs six says, "We are snared by the words of our mouth." Actually, Proverbs 6 does not say that. He's quoting um, part of a verse. 
out of context. Proverbs 6, verse 2. Let's take a look. This is one of those sections of the Proverbs where it's not thesis, antithesis. There's a little bit of a narrative going on here. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1 reads, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor and have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And you're going, okay, what is going on there? Well, <clears throat> verse 1 kind of tells you, if you have put up security for your neighbor or given pledge for a stranger. Let me read to you just from a, you know, a basic evangelical commentary. Here's what it says. Uh, in verses 1 through 5, the person seems to have stood uh, surety with a neighbor or on behalf of another person who has then defaulted. Uh, the word for another indeed usually means a stranger in, in, in a context like this. So it may be that the person has gone surety for a stranger who has then disappeared. Either way, it is stupid just to hope that the situation will somehow solve itself. You have to take urgent action to get out of this mess, even if it's humiliating taking the initiative and casting yourself on your neighbor's mercy. So this is, Joel Osteen is quoting this passage, Proverbs 6, verse 2, out of context. You are snared by the words of your mouth. That's not, that's not what it's saying. It says, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, in the context of putting up security for your neighbor or a pledge for a stranger, and then that person has kind of skipped town, you know, bailed on you. Um, you know, we're talking about a legal conundrum here. Uh, Proverbs 6 verse 2 doesn't say that you, negative words create a negative outcome. That's a flat out ripping. What Joel Osteen is doing here is mangling and twisting God's word. Let's continue. Do you know you can talk yourself out of your healing? You can talk yourself out of a promotion. Negative words can keep you from your God-given destiny. This is what almost happened to a man in the scripture. So negative words can keep you from your God-given destiny. This is not what the Bible teaches. Let's, let's listen to the next passage he thinks teaches this. Named Jeremiah. God gave him a great promise that he would become a prophet to the nations. But when he heard this, he was very young and unsure of himself. He said, God, I can't do that. I can't speak to the nations. I'm too young. I wouldn't know what to say. God said, Jeremiah, say not that you are too young. The first thing God did was stop his negative words. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, let's read the passage. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb. I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. 
for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say that I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord put out his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overflow, uh, to overthrow, to build and to plant. Okay, so this is the commissioning of Jeremiah. Nowhere does it say in any commentary within the text, theologically, or even in any epistles, the reason why God stopped Jeremiah was to prevent him from saying negative words that would keep him from his destiny. Not at all. Because Jeremiah did say those negative words already, didn't he? And yet, God said, I have called you, you will go to where, I have put, where I'm you know, sending you. Plain and simple. Jeremiah already said the negative words. If those negative words create reality, then Jeremiah completely obliterated his destiny by saying that. But yet the scriptures show his negative words did not obliterate his destiny. And God corrected him and then gave him his words and sent him on his way. This is a false theology we're hearing from Joel Osteen. Why did God do that? God knew if he went around saying, I'm not qualified... I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. He would become exactly what he was saying. And yet no text says that. So God said, in effect, Jeremiah, zip it up. You may think it, but don't speak it out. Yeah, the tyranny of the positive here. You can think it, just don't say it. It goes on to tell how Jeremiah changed what he was saying, and he became a prophet to the nations. The promise came to pass. In the same way, God has called every one of us. It's not a promise if it's contingent upon you having to say positive words in order to make it happen. You are in the driver's seat, not God. Us ...to do something great. He's put dreams, desires on the inside. But it's easy to say like Jeremiah, I can't do that. I'm too young. I'm too old. I've made too many mistakes. I don't have the education. I don't have the experience. We can all make excuses... But God is saying to us what he said to Jeremiah, stop saying that. Uh, he didn't say that to Jeremiah. And no, God has not called me and you to be like Jeremiah. Don't curse your future. Those negative words can keep you from God's best. Yeah, you get the point there. Talk about the tyranny of the positive. There it is. Be positive or zip it. Be positive or be quiet. Be positive. You can think it. Don't say it or you'll curse. This is, I mean, this is superstition. This is mythology. This is magic. This is not sound biblical doctrine or theology. And this doesn't set people free. This keeps them in bondage, keeps them in the dark. This is darkness, not light. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. An extended Patricia King update. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
This sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Hello, my name is Joel Osteen, and I want to tell you about my latest book. Every day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one, though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was, Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas, because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean, what's not to like about Friday? There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you could be casual at work. And they's always having that 25-cent wing night down at Bubba Wings on Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole every day is Friday thing and have made some not-so-nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, But Saturday is so much better. With every day being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are close-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy! Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? 
If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, and thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Hello, I'm Brandon House of WorldviewRadio.com. WorldviewRadio.com is the world's premier biblical worldview online radio network. And now you can take it with you on the go with our free app that you can download free of charge at WorldviewWeekend.com forward slash APP. That's WorldviewWeekend.com forward slash APP. And you'll hear the daily and weekly radio programs by people like T.A. McMahon of The Brian Call, Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith, Usama Dakdok and The Truth About Islam, Noise of Thunder with Chris Pinto, Justin Peters and the Justin Peters Program, Crosstalk, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and Prophecy Today, Jesse Johnson with the Bible Teaching Program of Emmanuel, Dr. John Whitcomb, and Mike Gendron of Proclaiming the Gospel Radio, as well as Carl Tycrib with Forcing Change Radio. All of these biblically-based radio programs are available free of charge at worldviewradio.com and through our free app at worldviewweekend.com forward slash app. Biblical Worldview Radio that you can take with you on the go. If you think your positive words or negative words create the future for you, you are living in the tyranny of the positive, not in the freedom of the true gospel. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we're doing here at Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio without it. Moving along. Now, I got to warn you um, what we're going to be listening to from Patricia King is some pretty wacky stuff. This is her at a recent tent revival, kind of priming the pump, if you would, in preparation for her revival this fall, the Burning Fire revival. Yeah, and it just starts off on a weird note. Uh, Please assume the crash position and and uh, please take all of the proper necessary safety precautions before we dive into this segment with Patricia King. 
It's way out there. <clears throat> Here we go. Because you see, when we start proclaiming words of faith and making prayer declarations and prophetic declarations of what God is saying in a particular hour, then it actually impregnates the spiritual realm, the spiritual atmosphere with it. And it cre- <clears throat> so uh, are, have you been busy impregnating the spiritual realm? Yeah, let me back that up because this sounds like it's somewhat related to um, what we just heard Joel Osteen saying. Although, I mean, Patricia has a far more graphic way of picturing these things. Listen again. Because, you see, when we start proclaiming words of faith and making prayer declarations and prophetic declarations of what God is saying in a particular hour, then it actually impregnates the spiritual realm, the spiritual atmosphere with it. And it cr- uh-huh. So your words <clears throat> impregnate the spiritual realm. Yeah, I would hate to have to explain that birds and bees lesson to my children. Let's move along. Creates a tipping point of faith where it then starts to manifest within the earth. And so I'm really passionate about this. And so, Father, we ask you tonight to to open the eyes of our understanding and to give us an injection, an infusion from above of the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, your kingdom and your righteousness. And that your word seasoned in this hour, Lord God, would bring life and light to us that we might walk in it as we come into agreement with what you are saying in this hour in Jesus name hallelujah well um, a couple of months ago I was returning from a trip uh, from um, Australia I was on a plane and I couldn't sleep and so I was looking through the movie lesson and I saw when it says the impossible and I thought, oh, I wonder what that's all about. And so I, I read through the little review and I thought, I think I'll watch it. It's about the, the tsunami that hit um, Southeast Asia a number of years ago. And, and it was actually based on a true story of a family that was on vacation and got trapped in the tsunami, got affected by the tsunami. And so it's a stunning film. Like if anyone wants to watch it, it's very intense. I'll just give you a heads up on that. Um, but it is very well directed. It's great acting. The kids that act in it are are outstanding. Um, but what captured my attention in the very beginning was that they actually showed on the film the tsunami coming in. And it was like... Without warning, tsunamis come without warning. It was a suddenly. No one actually knew it was coming. I mean, in the film they showed kind of the birds were starting to get a little bit, you know, ruffled. You know, you could see they were a little bit agitated. So creation was sensing that something was up, but maybe not knowing what. They were showing, you know, the different wind blowing on the plants. But there was very, very little warning. And the warnings that were there were very subtle. You had to to really listen. You had to really watch to capture what was coming. And then suddenly, this huge mass of current, this wall of fire just came in and broke everything down, came over the land and just, just a... Tr- you mean wall of water, right? Terrific force and took everything with it and everyone with it. And um, so whole families that have been divided, like if the kids were in the pool and the parents were on, on some other part of the, the patio deck, um, they would just get, get you know, separated from one another, caught in this current of the tsunami. And so it was really well portrayed within the movie. And the, the Lord showed me about the tsunami. So the Lord showed you about the tsunami. Uh, so while she was watching this movie on an airplane back from Australia... Um, God was speaking to her through the movie. 
Tsunami is different from a wave that you play in at the beach. You know, you don't play in a tsunami. It's not even a good, good wave to surf. You can't surf it because it doesn't crest like a surf wave. What a tsunami is caused by is a disturbance in the deep when there's the plates of the earth beneath start shifting and it creates current. It creates a, a, a force where the water level rises up, 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 up and goes with a very strong current and force and literally comes on the land. And in a tsunami, you do not play in it, number one. You do not resist it. It will take you. You can't resist it. You know, you don't have a choice. When it hits you, you get caught in its current. You you don't have any power over that tsunami. And the yeah, I'll keep that in mind next time I'm in a tsunami. The Lord spoke to me and he said, even... Yeah, no, the Lord is not speaking to you. You, you speak falsely. You do not rightly handle God's word. You're not hearing from God, Patricia. Even as you see this tsunami as it came in and took everything with it, so is my grace going to come in a move of revival, in a move of my spirit, such as the world has never seen, such as you've never seen in all of the history of the church. All right. So Patricia King is claiming that God's telling her that we're going to have a tsunami revival like has never been seen ever. And uh, if you believe this, I have a bridge in New York I'd like to sell you. It's really beautiful, too. In fact, it could be even the history of mankind has never seen what's about to come. It's going to be so amazing. The scripture says that your eye have not, has, has not seen, your ears have not heard, and neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God is going to do, the things that he is going to... Uh, yeah, and that passage has nothing to do with your so-called revival coming up in October. ...to perform on our behalf in these days, but they will be revealed by the Spirit when it's time. So we can feel, you know, you, we, you, we, we can hear the sound of the heavy rain coming. We kind of can see something shifting in the spirit we don't know exactly what it's going to look like we don't know all the com- yeah i don't see nothing shifting in the in the spirit except for darkness falling upon the land because of the blight of bad um i don't even want to call you a preacher um bad um pastrix false teachers like you components because when god moves in revival you're never really ready for it it's always a little bit different than what you think but if you say yes now lord i want to be part of what you're doing i want to be caught in that movement of grace i want to be caught in that sovereign so i, I got to say yes now if i want to get caught up in all of that uh-huh sovereign move then he will honor your desire he will honor your desire and you'll be in it. I told the Lord years ago, I said, Lord, I don't want to, you know, ever be like 15 years behind you or something. I want to be right where you are. And if you're ready to move in something, something new, something that you have for the people of the earth, I want to be right there with you. I don't want to, to lose. I don't want to miss out. I want to be right when it happens. Catch me in that current. And if you have that desire, he will give you the desire of your heart. And so all of this is based upon... <clears throat> Something that Patricia apparently received as a direct revelation from God while watching a movie because she couldn't sleep on a plane ride back from Australia. Yeah. He promises to. Amen? Woo! That's exciting. So there's a move of the Spirit coming in. Actually, Smith Wigglesworth had a vision back in the 1940s. He reiterated it to Lester Sumrall in 1947. And he said what he saw 
was a move of the spirit such as the world had never seen before. And he said this move was going to be accompanied by a harvest of souls where, where those that were coming to the Lord, no one would be able to count them. They were uncountable. There were so many coming to the Lord. He said it will be the greatest ingathering of souls that has ever come to the earth. Smith Wigglesworth said that. And he also... And of course, Smith Wigglesworth was talking about Patricia's upcoming October 10th revival in Phoenix. Everybody knows that. So told Lester Summerall that he would not be alive to see it, but it would come in, you know, the generation that we're in. He believed it was come in the generation that we're in. And so um, he also said that great healing was going to accompany this move. And he said whole hospitals will be emptied out. Whole hospitals. Really? Whole hospitals are going to be emptied out. Wow. This will be emptied out because of the power of healing. And he said that in this vision, he saw doctors running down the street screaming and shouting because of the glory of the Lord was so, was so weighty. And the other thing he said that is significant is he said, this is a worldwide movement. It is not local. It is worldwide. And he used the terminology worldwide. Now today, we would probably say global. But the Lord showed me that when this tsunami of revival comes, that it is going to be a global outpouring. It's going to happen in many places. It's going to spread all around the world. No one will escape what God is about to do. Every nation will be touched by it. Now, we always have a... We always have our will on whether we want to personally receive it, but you'll be the spirit of an idiot if you, if you try to resist it. You know, he's going to make it easy for us, okay? Uh-huh. Now, that's enough for today, but you kind of get the gist of what she's trying to do here. All of this is preparation for and trying to build up the anticipation of her upcoming revival that's supposed to be happening Um <clears throat> This uh, October in Phoenix, you know, and, you know, this is what she's kind of preparing everybody for. It's going to be a global outpouring. So many people are going to be brought to the Lord. The numbers are going to be vast, so vast you can't even count. Entire hospitals are going to be emptied out because of healing is going to be pouring forth from her revival in October. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, well, when that doesn't happen, because it won't, um, we (laughs) we will be able to chronicle it here at Fighting for the Faith and... Let everybody know, uh, Patricia, this is how she built this thing up. And, well, I don't see entire hospitals being emptied out. Um, And why is that? Well, because she's a false prophet. She's a false teacher. She doesn't speak the truth. She speaks, well, what's inside of her dark little heart, as if that's coming from God. And we know from Scripture that it's not, because she can't rightly handle a biblical text if her life depended upon it. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to end the week off with two good sermons, one from Pastor Hodel, the other from Pastor Swirla. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? 
Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember... A portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Come in. What was I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to end the week off with a couple of good sermons. It's the routine we've gotten into, and it's the, my favorite way to end the week. Let's do this right. ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermons come to us in this order from uh, faith lutheran church 
uh, Capistrano Beach, California, Pastor Ron Hodel will be preaching a sermon entitled, Little Faith People, You're Safe in Christ, a sermon based upon the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. And then right after that, we will be listening to a sermon by Pastor Bill Swirla of uh, Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, Hacienda Heights, California, entitled Holy Chutzpah, based upon the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Um, As you listen to these sermons, listen to Law and Gospel, Sin and Grace, Repentance and the Forgiveness of Sins, and notice that both of these are Gospel sermons, not make-yourself-better sermons. They do have law in them, but the purpose of the law is different than what we hear from men like Joel Osteen and others. So let me go ahead and kill the music, and what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read to you the text that forms the basis of Pastor Hodel's sermon, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 through 34, which reads, And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as a small as small a thing as that, Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the text that forms the basis of Pastor Hodel's sermon entitled, Little faith, people, you are safe in Christ. Here is Pastor Ron Hodel. In the name of Jesus, amen. Every once in a while, Jesus says the meanest things. Every once in a while, Jesus calls people names. He called King Herod a fox. He calls the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites whitewashed tombs, facades covering the dead stuff just beneath the surface. And here Jesus calls his disciples. In fact, he calls us a flock of little faith. How dare he say such a thing about us? We, a people of little faith, Maybe those guys who take summers off from church attendance, they deserve it. Maybe those who darken the door of the sanctuary on Christmas and Easter and never in between, they deserve it. But us, we're here this morning through thick and thin when we want to be here, when 
we don't want to be here when it's easy to be here, when it's really hard to be here. We're here. We're the faithful, the happy few. We band of brothers. Doesn't Jesus realize? Doesn't Jesus realize that there are a lot of other things that we could be doing this morning? There's the beach, Disneyland, our pillows, the newspaper. Remember those? Mimosas at lunch. But no, we've chosen to be here. So who's he think he is calling us a flock of little faith? Well, he's the Lord. And because he's the Lord, he's right. We are people of little faith. It's time we admit it, confess it, along with all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended him. Little faith people who have given our hearts over to our treasures, whatever we treasure. To the treasures of this life that promise to give us what we want, but hardly deliver on their promise. What do you want? What's most important to you? Where's your hope? What's your faith in? Not primarily like my faith is primarily in Jesus but completely. It's time we admit it. Say it right back to Him. Jesus, you're right. A word about confession before we go on. If the world's taught you one thing, it's taught you that it's not safe to confess. Your lawyer wisely tells you to keep your mouth shut. And your insurance company does too. Just check that little card that they give you if you get into an accident. Because this world's not a safe place to confess. With confession comes penalties. You'll be taken advantage of. And in truth, we hate to confess to anything anyway. Admit something that's sadly true about us. Say, I did it. I do it. Fess up. We hate it because it's not a safe thing to do, nor do we nor do we want to even believe that it's true about us. And so we hide the truth about ourselves from each other. And maybe worst of all, we hide the truth about ourselves from ourselves. We don't want to admit it to others, and we dare not admit the truth to ourselves. But to confess when it comes to God in Christ. To confess is to simply say the same thing back to God that God has already said about us in the first place. And that means your confession doesn't reveal a thing to God that He doesn't already know. He already knows the truth about you. He just wants you to admit it. To lay claim to it as well. In the world, that's not a safe thing to do. But in here it is, because that of which we need to confess is already died for on Calvary's cross and buried in a tomb. That of which we need to confess has already been covered, paid for, redeemed, cleansed, 
And that's the most wonderful news of all given to those who confess. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts should belong to God. And maybe you've even given your heart over to Jesus. Good. I'm glad. But confess the truth. Not all of it's been given over to Jesus. We've also given our hearts over to other things as well. To the things God's graciously given to us, entrusted to us. Things, uh, financial wherewithal and all that that entails, intellect, skills, talents, health, you name it. Anything that makes all kinds of promises, but rather bring us, bring me, all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of worry. Me, my life, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to put on. And to get those things, I need money and so money because it's the common denomination we tend to use becomes the biggest idol of all. The idol I give my heart to for the false promise of getting everything. But the idolatrous life of chasing after stuff, I must admit, a fun little escapade in the beginning, is an enslaving rat race of a life. And the stuff of this life ends up giving us no Sabbath rest. And so, we are anxious Will my retirement be sufficient? We worry. What if life changes? And it does change, doesn't it? We fret. What if my health fails? We agonize. How can I control all of the variables? So Jesus is right. He diagnoses us with pinpoint accuracy. Oh, you of little faith. Our faith in Him has shriveled since the days of our youth when we were three years old in Miss Elizabeth's Sunday school class. Diminished from a lack of exercise. Gotten stiff from a lack of stretching. Atrophied from a lack of use. Faith has increased in the things of this world that can't deliver. And faith in the giver has shrunk. And that's the truth, the ugly truth about each of us. So now what? What's the prescription? What's the fix to this? What's the cure? Well, you can buy my book. Take my spiritual strengthening exercise program. Do a holy and blessed retreat with me. No, no. Jesus doesn't give us this, that, and the other thing to do. He simply talks. And His Word, His powerful Word, His saving Word, lets His Father and ours grow large before our very eyes. Nothing for you to do, flock of little faith. Why have you considered the ravens? They neither sow nor reap, neither have storehouse nor barn. But what happens? God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you, O little one of little faith? Of course He will. Which of you, by being anxious, can add one hour to your span of life? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Trust me, Jesus says. Trust your Father in heaven. He knows that you need all of this. We are worried. We are worried about food and clothing, reaping and storing. The time dedicated to all of that gobbles up most of our week and much of the sleepless hours we spend at night. Food and clothing, reaping and storing day after every hard day. Jesus knows. And so He speaks and His words let our Father grow large before our very eyes. Oh, little flock, You're so worried about all of this. So anxious, but about all the wrong things. Don't you know? Do not fear. Consider this. Consider this. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Just let that sink in. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Food and clothing, reaping and storing on one hand, and the kingdom on the other. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus. And what He's won for you on Calvary's cross dying and His Easter Sunday rising. Whose death won eternal life for you. Whose blood cleanses you from all of your sins. Every last one of them. Our little faith hearts aren't pumped up by spiritual juicing. No. Jesus has given us, given you a new heart. A heart like His. A heart that clings to the Father and His gifts. He is your God. He is your Savior. So no wonder He says to you today, today, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and Everything else, all of the stuff that you need and lots of stuff you don't even need will be added to you besides. The most important thing is already taken care of. Jesus has seen to it. In fact, in fact, you wouldn't even have to worry if you were actually courageous enough to be compassionate to sell all of your possessions and give the cash to the poor. Now, I know your financial planner would totally disagree, but no, you wouldn't even need to worry, not even then. Jesus would still take care of you. Somehow, He's chosen to take care of you by the means by which He's taking care of you right now. 
But he could take care of you in oh so many different ways. For the money bag of faith doesn't wear out. Not because of how massive or strong your faith is, but because your faith, whether it is gigantic or little, your faith clings to Jesus. And no thief can steal Jesus away from you, and no one will snatch you out of his hand. No moth can destroy Jesus. Jesus is your greatest treasure. He has the wounds to prove it. And today, he brings the reign of his kingdom to you. Sticks it in your ears. Gives you a heaping portion of it on your tongue. Delivers you. Rescues you. Counts you righteous. Even to little faith people, he comes with the forgiveness of your sins. With life. For salvation. So do not fear. Don't be anxious. Don't you know? It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Believe it. Trust it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sermon number two to end the week is uh, Pastor William Swirla. The name of the sermon is Holy Chutzpah. And the name, uh, well, the, the text that this is uh, preached from is the Gospel of Luke chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. That's, what, that's the text for this sermon Holy chutzpah. Here's Pastor Bill Swirla. In the name of Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. But isn't prayer something natural? Shouldn't it just kind of flow easily, spontaneously, and naturally from our lips? No, it isn't true. We don't know how to pray. Prayer is anything but natural for a natural-born sinner. We are born deaf to God's Word, and we are born mute to prayer. We must be taught. The old Adam must be taught and indeed coerced to pray. The only prayer we can pray is, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord does. He teaches us to pray. First, he gives us the words for prayer. Luke, in his gospel, gives us the abbreviated version. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So name and kingdom and bread, forgiveness, temptation, the basics. Five things that you cannot live without. And if you add to it God's will and deliverance from evil, that is a blessed death, you will have the Lord's Prayer as we know it from Matthew. Jesus gives the words for prayer, and so his prayer is a perfect prayer. In fact, it is the only perfect prayer that there is, taught by the Son himself. It's guaranteed to be heard. 
Jesus knows his Father and his Father's will much better than we know his Father and the Father's will. And this is precisely what the Father wants us to pray for and how to pray. This is how the Son teaches us how to pray. He gives us a prayer. All prayer that is Christian prayer starts with the prayer that Jesus teaches. Or at least it should start with that prayer. I have heard stories. Stories of whole classes and seminars and workshops on prayer that use all sorts of books and methods and videos and all kinds of things that never mention the prayer that Jesus taught us. How on earth can you speak about prayer if you do not speak about the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, the one perfect prayer that embraces every other prayer? Or as Luther rightly pointed out, this prayer basically summarizes the entire Psalter in a few sentences. There is nothing uncertain about this prayer. There is nothing tentative. There is no if it be your will because we know this prayer is God's will because the Son of God taught it to us. You cannot get this one wrong. This is the pure and holy prayer of the Son of God to his Father, inviting us to speak to his Father as our Father. Martin Luther once described the Our Father as the greatest martyr in the history of the church. He said it's prayed without thought, it's prayed without understanding, it's barely prayed at all sometimes. There are people who malign the Lord's Prayer, and they say that we shouldn't recite a prayer by rote from memory, but that Pure prayer should come spontaneously from the heart, as though anything good could possibly come from the heart. We think that God hears prayer because of its sincerity, its eloquence, its religiosity, whatever. And we would be wrong in thinking that. Prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a gift of grace. Prayer is an undeserved kindness on God's part. Jesus tells a little bit of a parable to that effect. The parable comes in the form of a question, and it's an odd one. Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because I have a friend from out of town who's come on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he's hungry. And that friend that you call at midnight, will answer from within, don't bother me, the door is shut, the children are asleep, and I can't give you anything. So I have good neighbors. I like my neighbors. We regularly borrow stuff from each other, you know, gallon of gas, flour, sugar, dishes, all kinds of stuff. We trade garden fruit and vegetables, things like that. But I have to say that I've never tried this trick. I've never tried going to them at midnight and knocking on the door and saying, you know, I, I, I've got some friends over and I need, need a couple loaves of bread, you know, you think. Uh, in fact, I'd be a bit reluctant about knocking on my neighbor's door at midnight. It might strain our relationship as neighbors, and it would take a bit of courage. Now, the Greek word here for what it takes is anedeia. Anedeia is the, the Greek term that Luke uses. I like the dictionary definition for anedeia. Listen, lack of sensitivity to what is proper, <laughs> carelessness about the good opinion of others, 
shamelessness, impertinence, impudence, ignorance of convention. Now, that is an interesting view of prayer, I think. Careless disregard to propriety. Shamelessness, impertinence, impudence, importunity, a word we don't hear much anymore, ignoring common convention. Or if you really want the word that I think summarizes the whole thing, it's this Yiddish word chutzpah. It takes a lot of chutzpah to pound on your neighbor's door at midnight and expect him to greet you with a smile in his bathrobe and three loaves of bread because you have guests from out of town and you didn't plan ahead and go to the store. It takes a lot of chutzpah to pound on the door of the Lord of creation, the Lord of the universe, no matter what time of day or night it is. Prayer is an act of holy chutzpah. It's an act of faith, of trust. In order to pray, you must first of all believe that there is a God at the receiving end of the line. And you must believe that this God will hear your prayer and will somehow act accordingly, that it makes a difference. And when you stop and think about it for a second, it actually does take a lot of chutzpah to imagine that the creator of the universe That the Lord of all, the one who sits high enthroned above the cherubim and the seraphim, is going to take the time and the trouble, much less the energy, to listen to our trifles. Seriously, three loaves of bread at midnight? Couldn't this wait until morning? Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his chutzpah, His impudence, he will rise up and give him whatever he wants. That is hardly a flattering view of prayer. God will give you what you want, not because he likes you as a friend, but because of the sheer impudence of your faith that dares to wake him up at midnight for a few measly loaves of bread? (laughs) Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. Those are the promises that God makes to you in prayer. That is the basis of this holy chutzpah, of the justified sinner who dares to come to God with all of his troubles, no matter how petty and trivial they may be. That is the basis for the boldness and the confidence of faith that, as Luther says, comes to God as a little child, a dear child, coming to their dear Father in heaven. It's that childlike boldness of the little kid who comes to his or her parents' bedroom and wakes them up at midnight for some trivial request that was on his mind that just simply couldn't wait until morning. St. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So then, are you anxious about anything, your life, your health, your work, your family, whatever? Then pray. Pound on God's door at midnight. 
Dare to let your requests be made known to the Lord and creator of the universe. And even when the door is shut and God seems to be asleep or at least in a grumpy mood and not listening, pray anyway. Bring your prayers and your petitions before him. And truthfully, that's how prayer feels a lot of the time, doesn't it? It feels like you are talking to a shut door to somebody who's asleep. And when he wakes up, he ain't going to be happy. It's kind of how it feels. Rarely feels like some deep and meaningful two-way conversation with someone who's giving you their rapt attention, undivided. It really does feel like you're pounding on your neighbor's door at midnight with some outrageous request. And yet Paul says, don't be anxious. Pray. Dare to pound on God's door. And there's a promise here. The peace of God that surpasses your comprehension, your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the promise of prayer is peace. Peace that goes beyond what you understand. Peace that the world cannot give. Peace that flows from the cross of Jesus and his bloody wounds to you in your baptism, in the forgiving word, in the body and the blood of Christ on the altar. True and lasting and eternal peace. Jesus said, if you then who are evil, and we are evil by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? No father gives his son a snake instead of a fish or a scorpion for an egg. We give good gifts to our children. We give them what they need. We don't always give them what they want. God doesn't promise to give us whatever we ask or that we will find whatever we seek or that every door that we pound on will be opened. To be in God's favor does not mean that God does you favors. It means that he promises that in this exercise of holy chutzpah called prayer, you will find the peace of God, and he will bless you with the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest errors of prayer is the notion that prayer is a means to an end. We pray in order to get something. We pray in order to change something. It's a way to get something out of God as though God were a vending machine and we could transact with him and get exactly what we want. We want God to suspend the laws of creation and the order of the universe so that it won't rain on our parade. But prayer is not a means to an end. It's an end in itself. It's an exercise of faith. It is the holy chutzpah of faith. God is not a vending machine dispensing favors to those he favors who ask in the right way. He is our maker. He is our redeemer. He is our comforter who created us, who redeemed us by the blood of his son, who sanctifies us by his word and the Holy Spirit. Prayer is in the end an exercise of trust that God will not ignore you and your life for Jesus' sake. That's what prayer is about. We must never forget that our prayers are never heard on their own merits. 
St. Paul reminds us that we don't even know how to pray in the first place. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with these unutterable sighs and groanings, exploring the mind of God and our minds and bringing the two together. Our words and prayer are delivered to the ears of the Father by the Spirit who recasts our words according to the will of God. And that's why you do not always get what you pray for. I like to say in 56 years of prayer, I rarely, if ever, get what I pray for. It's because the prayer we pray and the prayer the Father hears are two different prayers. They come by way of the Spirit who reshapes our prayer to the mind and the will and the ear of God. Which means this, you can't get it wrong. What freedom there is in that. You cannot get it wrong. The Spirit will make it right. All prayer goes through the high priest, through Jesus Christ, the sole mediator between God and man. I'm sure you've all been on the receiving end of the call at midnight, haven't you? I have this rule that when the phone rings after midnight, it's never good. Never good. Maybe it's a knock on the door, but usually these days it's a phone call. And sometimes you don't want to answer it. And you roll over in bed and you say, just leave it to voicemail. I'll pick it up in the morning. You throw the pillows over your head and you try to get back to sleep again. And then somebody else picks up the phone and answers it and then comes to you and says, you have to get this one. <laughs> it's one of the family. So you have no choice. you got to get up. You see, in prayer, when we knock at God's door at midnight, it's not the Father who comes, but the Son who answers the door. And Jesus goes to his Father, and he wakes him up from his midnight slumber, and he says, Dad, you have to answer. It's family. It's one of the baptized. you got to answer. You're one of the family. You're baptized into Christ. You're a child of God. You are permitted to bug God at all hours of the day and night with whatever you want to talk about. And God will listen. Not because you're likable. Not because your prayers are so eloquent and meaningful. But because of that holy chutzpah of faith that dares to cling to Christ even in the face of a closed door and a locked door at midnight. Jesus hung on a cross in the silence and in the darkness so that you might have access to God's grace in prayer. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to you in your baptism that your words might reach the ear of God. There is no way that you can get prayer wrong. But it does take a lot of chutzpah to pray. Holy chutzpah. Faith in Jesus chutzpah. As dear children coming to their dear father in heaven. As a pesky neighbor knocking on his neighbor's door at midnight. That's the way of prayer. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Nothing to add to that. So what'd you think? 
Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>